Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. All right, welcome today. Good to see you this morning. Great to have you in the house of the Lord today. Hope you came ready and hungry for the word of God. Take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Great, great spirit in the house today. The Lord is here and he's the one we've come to see and glorify and exalt this morning. Matthew chapter 1. We are, we're in the middle of the story and it's finding your place in God's story. And I hope you've been doing that each and every week as we've been looking together at God's word and seeing these incredible stories in the word of God and we're learning from them and, and uh, just seeing how they relate to us, how we relate to them, lessons we're learning all along the way. Now we are just concluding the kingdom period and you have this period where they set up their kingships in Israel and you have the first king is King Saul. He is fatally flawed. He was not God's choice. He was man's choice. And then we see King David and uh, he follows King Saul and yet he had some of his own giants in his own life that he had to deal with in his own family. And then we follow by Solomon in this whole thing of pride and, uh, and, and arrogance and everything I've done is my own and he hijacks God's story and tries to make it his own. After King Solomon, the kingdom is divided and his son Rehoboam says, I'm going to make it tougher on you than even Solomon was. And so Jeroboam rebels and the kingdom is forever divided in the north and in the south. And we showed you that last week. And so they will go through a period in Judah's history. There's 20 different kings. Six of them are good. 14 of them are lousy. In Israel's kingdom, of all their kings, only one could be even described as good. And so you go through this terrible time of, of idolatry and wickedness and turning away from God and the divided kingdom. And eventually that would lead into their captivity. First, the northern kingdom into Assyria, and then the southern kingdom into Babylon, Judah into Babylon. And so we are in the kingdom period and we're winding down all the kings. Now, this morning, we are coming to, I believe, the climax of God's story. It is the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, every king uh, would lead up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he would be of the lineage of David, of the line of the tribe of Judah, and he's going to be born. And we're going to look at his birth, the birth of the king. So stand with me and let's look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, an incredible story. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want her to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child. And give birth to a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke. 
he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home and his wife, and he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Everybody, let's, let's say that name together. Jesus. Jesus. There, there's power in that name of Jesus. He's our king today. We're going to look at King Jesus this morning. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that you're here this morning. Thank you, God, for touching and healing around these altars. We believe by faith it's already been done in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. Thank you, God, that you came and took on flesh and dwelt among us, that we might know you and you might give your life for us. And, and I pray this morning, if there's anyone here today who may not yet have made you king of their life, I pray they'll make that commitment this morning. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look marvelous today, and then you may be seated. You see this connection in God's story, in, in the Word of God, of God always reaching down and coming among men. And I think probably the most graphic time is before the fall. And you see God. He's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They're there to get in the garden. They have perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, because sin had not yet entered the world. And then, and then he speaks to Moses. And you see this throughout God's story of God always reaching out to man. And so there's a burning bush and the glory of God comes down. And, and God, once again, is speaking to Moses. Uh, and on one occasion, he's hidden uh, under the cleft of the rock when the glory of the Lord passes by because it's too awesome for him to behold. You see him enthroned over the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And so when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness and they had the Holy of Holies and the Ark was in there, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God would come down. It was said to dwell on top of the Ark and right in the middle of the camp of Israel. And God's presence was with his people. And later when Solomon would build the temple, the, the, the glory of God would once again come down into the Holy of Holies. And that Shekinah glory was said to dwell over top of the Ark of the Covenant. But I want to tell you, all these were just a warm-up for God's main event in his story. Because the main event would occur when God himself would come down. And God would live among his people. And God would be with us. And he would be fully God and fully man. And that, my friends, is the, is the apex or the climax of the story of God and man. Jesus Christ coming down to earth the measure of the manner of his coming could not have been more amazing or more unusual the creator of the universe the one who made everything allows himself to become a tiny little embryo that would develop into a fetus that would become a newborn baby that would pass through the birth canal of mary and take the first breath of smelly, stinky air in a stable. It's not how you would picture a king coming to earth. It's not the way we might have scripted everything to happen. And, and you have the scene in the manger. You have the, the mother Mary and you have Joseph there, the adoptive father. And they, they welcome this new baby with joy. And yet there's some trepidation. There's some fear along the way of this incredible responsibility that's just been placed into their laps. 
Now, we, we know the Christmas story, and, and I think when sometimes when we come in around Christmas time and, and pastor's going to preach another Christmas message, there's a tendency, if we're not careful, to tune it out, to say, I've heard this, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, know all about it. But I want you to tune in this morning because this, this whole story, everything around the Christian faith comes uh, into play right here at this time of the year. This is what we are celebrating today. Jesus Christ coming and living among us uh, and being fully God and fully man. And when you come to grips with it, it has incredible ramifications for every one of our lives. This is everything we are. There's two implications I want to leave with you this morning. First of all, Because Jesus Christ came, it means I am forgiven. My sins are taken away. Verse 21, behold the Savior, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the world from their sins. At the time of the angelic visit, Joseph and Mary, the Bible says, had been betrothed. They were engaged. They they weren't married yet, yet. And yet I think their betrothment was a lot different than our engagement because in biblical times, if someone was betrothed, they would leave and separate themselves from the wife for a period of about a year. And during that year's period of time, they were to have no contact with each other. And he would go and prepare a place for them, prepare that new house, that new honeymoon suite. He would get it ready for his wife until he would come and then take away his bride. You see a lot of imagery there of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second time he would come back and then take his bride away. And during that year's period of engagement or betrothment, there was to be no sexual relations whatsoever. In fact, if either party engaged in any kind of sexual relationships before the actual marriage was consummated, it would be considered adultery, even though they weren't married technically as we would think of it. And according to the law, if there was adultery that was committed on either party's part, it was punishable by death. Although by this time, that was very rare in Palestine. They weren't killing too many people for adultery. And I'm sure it was happening from time to time. And so what happens is, now Mary finds herself pregnant. And you can imagine the scandal this might have set off. What what is mom and dad going to think? What's Joseph going to think? What's going to happen? What are all the neighbors going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? And you've got this very, very embarrassing, scandalous situation that now has arisen. And she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son. And the first person that you got to really convince is Joseph. And Joseph says, you know what? I'm going to put her away privately. I love her. I'm not going to have her killed or stoned. I'm not going to expose her. I'll just hide her away. And then he has this angelic vision. And he says, this thing in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. It's, It's God's doing. It's God's been involved in this whole thing that's taking place. And as you see the scene unfold, you see Mary's courageous faith. Mary is given this news, and and the angel first appears to her and tells her what is going to happen. And and here's what Mary responds in the book of Luke. May it be to me according to your word. I want to tell you, that should be every one of our attitudes. God, whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you ask of me, whatever you're calling me to do, wherever you're leading me, whatever you want me to say. And so she submits herself to God's mysterious 
plan because Mary is a lady of faith. And Mary trusts the Lord. And Mary is basically saying, I will believe in you whatever you want me to do. And in Luke chapter 1 and 31, after the angel appears to Mary, he says, and you will give him the name Jesus. Jesus. And then Joseph. Joseph also has to commit himself to a life of faith and obedience to the Lord. Because now Mary's pregnant, and and you can imagine the first thing he thinks along the way, what could have happened, who was she with, what's going on. And although God's call to Joseph would be different than his call to Mary, it nevertheless required the same step of faith. Joseph had to have the same kind of faith that Mary had to receive Mary and receive this baby. And then again, and I read it to you earlier, to Joseph the angel says, and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, now the name Jesus was a common name. There were a lot of kids named Jesus. And, and the name Jesus literally meant Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. It was a very common name. And every time that some mother in Palestine named their son Jesus, they were declaring Yahweh is salvation. It's a great name. Yahweh is salvation. And they probably named their child Jesus in hopes that one day the Messiah would come. The Lord would come. And salvation would finally come to the nation of Israel. It was a declaration that he would come and deliver Israel. And now God is declaring to Mary and to Joseph... This Jesus, he's not like every other Jesus. He is the one, and he goes on to say, because he will save his people from their sins. He's different. He's not like every other Jesus along the way. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He has finally come, and so the angels are very specific. Name him Jesus, because this one is going to save the world from their sins. Now, I want to tell you, that's great news. Because our sins separate us from a holy God. We cannot reach God. We cannot be good enough. We will never merit God's favor in and of ourselves. We need a Savior. My sins will always block me from the Lord. But God has a plan in place. And it's found in Jesus Christ. God's eternal plan all culminates in him. It all leads to him. And so here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to save me. He came into this world to save me. And he came into this world to save you today. That's great news. Because Jesus came, I can be forgiven. You know, that, that's the very reason I don't take the name of Jesus Christ in vain. And I don't take it lightly or, or flippantly or carelessly because Jesus Christ is my Savior and he would purchase my salvation with his own life and his own shed blood. Jesus is the only one who could do that. Why is Jesus the only one that could be my sacrifice? Because he is the only one who is the perfect God-man. By being born of a virgin, he is fully man, but he is also fully God. And the sin that is passed down from the male from generation to generation, he would not carry that sin inside himself. And so Jesus Christ can be the perfect lamb because he is the only one who never knew sin. And he's the perfect God-man. 
Thus, he can become the perfect sacrifice. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look, if you would, at, at verse number 18. He describes the cost of that gift to pay for our sins. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 18. For you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. In other words, he didn't buy you back with money. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defects. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can forgive you. He's the only one who can take every single sin away. Why? Because he is the perfect God-man. That's the story of Christmas. It's what it's all about today. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. I don't care what you may have done, how how bad your past may be, how many times you may have blown it along the way. Christ is able to cleanse you and forgive you from any sin. Because he's the perfect God-man. That's why he came, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus Christ's coming tells me I'm forgiven. And number two, it tells me that I am encouraged. Look, if you would, at your text again. Look at verse number 23. Listen to this encouragement this morning. Verse 23, and it says, And the virgin shall be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. You have these accounts of the birth of Christ. You have Matthew's account, which emphasized that he's the king. And uh, you have the, uh, the royal line of Christ, and that all is brought out in Matthew. You have Luke's account, which deals with, more with Mary and Elizabeth and uh, that whole scene surrounding them. And, and so you get the idea of the perfect man in Luke's gospel. And you see more, probably more of the detail from Luke's gospel surrounding the manger and the birth and all those kind of things. In Matthew, you get the wise men. You do not see the wise men or the kings. Uh, you don't see that in Luke's gospel. You only see it in Matthew's gospel. But in Luke's gospel, you see the, the shepherds. And so different, different viewpoints. Now you get to John. John is, is simply out to prove that Jesus Christ is fully divine. He is fully God. And so he doesn't start necessarily in the manger telling about the birth of Christ. He starts all the way in the beginning of time. And so let's read it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that what has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Now, the Jewish people themselves have this, this fear of separation from God. And so there was in the Hebrew mindset, we can't get close to God. And you go back to the, the Mount Sinai and, and, they, and God told them, if you even so touch the mountain that God is sitting on top of, you shall die. And I've already alluded to the fact that when the glory of God passed by, Moses had to be shielded under the cleft of the rock from the awesome presence of God. And so so John comes along and he tells us who Jesus Christ is. 
and he starts out by saying, Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the exact expression of who God is. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was God. And the word was with God. And what happens is when when that word becomes flesh and dwells among us, God is getting up close and personal like he never has before. He comes down and he's going to walk among us. He's going to dwell among us. And he says in John, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. You see, our words express our identity. And by identifying Jesus Christ as the word of God or the logos of God, who was God and who was eternally with God in the beginning, he is calling Jesus Christ God. You can't get around it. Jesus Christ is fully God. And the word was God. And the word was with God in the beginning. And everything that was made was made by that logos was made by God, was made by Jesus Christ. And so John is very clearly calling Jesus God. Now, when John describes the coming of the word as Jesus Christ, he brings you into a part of God's larger story. Remember the story is a seamless story from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. It is God's eternal story. And so what he does is he ties Jesus Christ in with creation. And he said, in the beginning was the word. Jesus Christ, the word has always been, always will be. He is eternal. Not only that, but he says, everything that was made, everything you see was made by God, was made by Jesus Christ. And so he takes you back the very beginning of God's great story. And then what happens is the amazing thing, God himself enters the story as a human being. Incredible. Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation is the eternal God enters the world, limits himself to time and space, and he's born as a human being. That is the incarnation. That, my friends, is the heart of the Christian faith. Everything is based around that. And so while other religions around the world, they have their great moral teachers uh, and they have angelic messengers uh, and they have these other leaders they follow and worship along the way, we worship the perfect God-man. Jesus Christ is God. He came down to earth. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. There he's tying Christ in with creation. Things in heaven, things on the earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, preexistent, and in him all things hold together. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus Christ. 
You want to know what God is like? Focus on Jesus. Because he is the expression, the fullness of the invisible God. What does God look like? Hollywood has a conception of what God looks like. Uh, Some in Hollywood might think he looks like this. Flash it up there and see uh, what, what Hollywood thinks God looks like. Somewhere, come, there it is. Uh, there's George Burns. That's what they think God looks like uh, from the movie, Oh God. Uh, flash the next one. Hollywood may think he looks like that. That's Morgan Freeman. That's from the movie, Bruce Almighty. They think that's what God looks like. So you got your white God and your black God. And uh, they might think he looks like Morgan Freeman. Michelangelo thought he looked like this. Flash that one up there. That's the top of the Sistine Chapel. And there's God reaching down and touching man and that very famous painting. And, uh, and so that's what they think God looks like. Most of us, though, think God looks a little like this. Flash that up. <laughs> Not like me. I didn't, I didn't mean that. But, but most of us have this image of God that he is a bigger picture of ourselves. That he is simply bigger than we are, but somehow he looks like me and he acts like me and he's bigger than us. And so it's kind of like, and man creates God in his own image. And we have this conception that somehow God is just a bigger image of who we are. Most of us will view God in one of two ways. Uh, you will see God is a God with a very big stick who's ready out there to beat you. And, and you're always under this guilt. You're always under this condemnation. And you see a God in whom there is no love. And the other side, these images from pop, pop culture and, uh, and, and, and today is there's no holiness whatsoever. And God's kind of a mush God. And he's all love out there. And there's no requirements, no holiness, no anything else. And so this is kind of the way we conceptualize God. What? does God really look like? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse number 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son, listen to this, is the radiance of God's glory. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his glory being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. After he hath provided the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Listen, if you want to know what God is like, go to the gospels and study Jesus Christ. What is God like? God stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet one by one. And he comes to Judas and he washes his feet. And he comes to Peter and he washes his feet. That's the kind of God we serve. Uh, What is God like? Uh, God reaches out his hand uh, and touches a leper, uh, someone who was declared unclean, uh, someone no one else would touch or or have anything to do with. But God reaches out and attaches his cleanness to to the leper's uncleanness uh, and he makes them whole. What is God like? Uh, God is the one who stoops down uh, and writes in the sand. Uh, and then he looks up at all the accusers, this adulterous ladies who's there. And they begin to drop their stones one by one. And he said, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Uh, and then he writes a little bit more. And he looks up that lady all by herself and says, neither do I condemn thee. Uh, go and sin no more. Uh, that's what my God is like. 
My God is the one who said, come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, if you're confused of who God is, study Jesus Christ, because the word of God declares he is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. Now listen to me. Because God is with us. I am never alone. And I'm encouraged. And that's incredible today. I don't mind being alone. But I don't like being lonely. And there's a difference. You can be in this place today surrounded by all kinds of people all around you in this crowd this morning. And still be, still be very lonely. Lonely. Listen, I want to tell you, God is with us. Never, ever do I have to be lonely uh, because God is present and he's with me and he is near. God is with us. Uh, I am never alone. Uh, and so listen to me. When you're at the doctor's office and they come out uh, and they bring that very tough report, uh, I want to tell you, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, I want, when your son and daughter calls, uh, son or daughter calls in the middle of the night uh, and they're in a crisis and you don't know where to turn, or what to do, uh, I want to tell you, in that moment, uh, he is an Emmanuel, uh, God with us. Psalm 23, 4 declares, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen to Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge, our strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Good news. Good news. God with us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Because Jesus Christ came. Because of the incarnation. Because God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us. It tells me two things this morning. It tells me, first of all, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Every sin is gone, washed away. I'm forgiven because he came to save us from our sins. And number two, it tells me I'm encouraged because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And because God is with me, I am never, ever alone. He's always there. He is God with us. But listen to me this morning. If none of these things, if you don't know Jesus Christ in your heart and life, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you don't know his forgiveness and you don't know his presence. You can't experience that. There's got to be a time when you say, God, I believe in you. I believe what you did for me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you came for me. I believe you are my Savior. And until you put your faith in him, until you say like Mary, be it according to me, according to your word, until you take that step of faith and receive him into yourself, you will never know the power of his forgiveness and the power of his presence. But when you say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Every sin is washed away. And then Christ becomes your king, your king. 
Take a little look, just a moment. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. Thank you, Lord. Give the praise to him. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You may be seated for just a moment. He's my king. Do you know him? 
Bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, if you don't know him today, he came for you. Came for you. Was born for you. Gave his life for you. Took on flesh for you. Rose again for you. That you might be forgiven. That you might always have his presence. Do you know him? Father, I pray for every person here today. I thank you, God. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.